Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Tantra's Mantra, where we go behind and beyond the tech news headlines. I am Prakash Sangam, your host and founder of Tantra Analyst. I am back with another interesting tech subject to discuss, and it's about 5G in rural America today. Uh, we start our discussion with the US NTIA, the National Telecommunications and Information Administration. The NTIA is responsible for developing the national telecom and IT policy and advising the US president on them. NTIA developed what it calls a comprehensive implementation plan associated with the national strategy to secure, that's the name of the plan, in January of this year. The plan itself addresses many policy proposals for the deployment of 5G in the USA. Currently, NTIA is in the process of gathering feedback from the industry participants on the plan. I was invited to a few of their hearings and indeed I provided my feedback as well. One of the components of that plan is development and proliferation of 5G in rural areas in the USA. When you look back at 5G, uh, there is a feeling that it took quite a while for 4G to reach uh, rural areas and even uh, longer for widespread adoption. In fact, in some remote areas, 4G is yet to reach. Uh, There are many reasons for it. For example, the population density in these areas is very sparse, so it becomes very expensive to deploy uh, networks there, especially backhaul, and in many cases, uh, uneconomical as well. And the size of the market is relatively small compared to the large urban markets of the country. Hence, it is uh, hard to uh, get the top three operators, uh, namely Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile, to get interested Uh, in these uh, areas and communities. There are many such reasons, you know, we can go on for uh, for some time if you look at them. But uh, with uh, 5G gathering lots of traction, uh, the question arises, would uh, 5G be different than 4G in terms of uh, rural coverage and widespread use there? Another interesting uh, related development is emergence of 5G fixed wireless access. Uh, that might change the 5G equation in rural areas a little bit. I've actually written an article on this subject on Forbes. Uh, if you are interested, please check it out. I'll include a link to that article in the description of the podcast. So uh, with so many questions around uh, 5G in rural America, we have a perfect person to discuss uh, them with, and that is Mike Irizari, a CTO of US Cellular, one of the America's largest carriers. You know, US Cellular services cover large portions of rural America. Hey, Mike, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. Really excited to have you on the show. Thank you. Could you please give our listeners a quick overview of your background as well as US Cellular's 5G plans? Sure. My entire career uh, has been in the telecommunications industry, specifically wireless, uh, over 30 years. I've worked at Motorola, Bell Atlantic Mobile, PageNet, Verizon. The last 19 years have been at U.S. Cellular as the company's CTO and CIO. And it's been great working for U.S. Cellular because we do serve many rural markets, and those are important communities to us, and we believe we bring a valuable service to them, connecting them to the internet and friends and families. We've been working on our 5G plans for a number of years. We're actively involved in the standards uh, bodies, both 3GPP, NGMN, and GSMA, and we're well on our way to deploying 5G in our uh, markets. And 
we currently have 5G deployed in parts of 18 states uh, that we serve, and we expect to have 5G in all of our markets by the end of Q1 of 2021. So we're moving uh, very fast. Uh, That's driven by one, the need to ensure we have a competitive product in those markets. And then two, to meet the uh, growing data usage consumption of our consumers that use our service. So we're very happy about our progress and continue to move forward with the deployment plan. Very good. So do you think the spread and utility of 5G is and will be different than 4G uh, in rural areas? If different, what are the differences from your vantage point? Yeah, it's a great question. I think, you know, first, uh, 5G has been developing much faster than previous uh, technologies, both from its conception through standardization and then product rollout. In fact, I think you could see that when we went from 3G to 4G and now from 4G to 5G. And, you know, if you can believe it, we're already starting to talk about 6G and, you know, that'll probably, uh, we'll see a further acceleration of the development of, of uh, that technology. It's really driven by the growth in data consumption. You know, 4G, as great a technology as it is, you know, when it was deployed, it was really searching for a problem to solve. And, when we rolled it out, what we found was new applications that hadn't been contemplated were developed. Think about the Uber app and many similar apps. They took advantage of it. 5G is different, different in the sense that we have greater clarity on the problems the wireless industry is faced with. I mentioned one already, and that's the rapid consumption of data. It's frankly, approaching an exponential growth rate. A lot of that's video, but it's also connection density. Everything that can be connected will be connected from your refrigerator to your coffee machine to your car. If you couple the connection density and the connection growth with the data usage, whether that's video, gaming, and similar type applications, 4G can't handle that. The good news is we knew these things were going to happen because it's part of the broader digitalization of society, both in urban and rural markets. And so the standard setting bodies really started off with these are the use cases we need to solve for for the next generation of technology. And that, frankly, is what makes 5G different than 4G. 4G was rolled out, was looking for a problem people developed apps to take advantage of it. 5G is rolling, being rolled out in anticipation of these issues. And so it was framed in that way. And that's why you see its deployment, you know, on an accelerated uh, pace. Now, I think those problems that I mentioned are not unique to urban or rural. I think they are issues to be solved in both uh, types of uh, geography. Everybody wants to be connected to the internet. In fact, if you look at the usage changes in COVID, you could argue that there's been a shift of usage from urban areas to more suburban and rural areas because people are working where they live and play. Now, the open question is when the pandemic is fully under control, will some of that usage go back? Some people say it will. 
Some people say it won't. But the bottom line is both rural and urban communities and people and businesses want to be connected to the internet all the time. And 5G is really best positioned to solve that regardless of rural or urban geographies. Yeah, I fully agree with that. So in an urban setting, the capacity and the uh, advantages that 5G brings in are much easy to contemplate, expect, and deploy, right? But when you take that to rural areas, as I had mentioned uh, earlier, the population densities are a little bit sparse, and they're like vast areas need to be covered to provide uh, you know seamless coverage and such. So I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, the challenges uh, in rural uh, cellular provisioning and dimensioning and you know deploying are little bit different and even actually I would say more difficult compared to urban. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. Let me, if I, if I could just give some commentary around it. I mean, you're right. In an urban area with the population density, you tend to be focused more on capacity than coverage, although coverage is, is just as important, particularly in building coverage since most of the traffic now is in building. But you're right. In, in rural settings, the pop density is much lower. So the economics are more difficult, difficult in the sense it's harder to spread your 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 cost versus an urban market where the population density is higher. And I would say that uh, at least initially in rural markets, the challenge is less one of capacity and more of, of coverage. How do you provide broad coverage with enough bandwidth to offer low density areas high quality, high speed access uh, to the the internet. That's not unique to 5G. I mean, that's been a challenge for each generation of uh, technology, but you're right. I mean, that there is a difference between those that I would say is, you know, coverage versus uh, capacity. Now, the, the good news is I think there's some developments in 5G uh, from a technology standpoint that that should help. So, you know, one is, Let's take millimeter wave for a second. When that was initially contemplated for 5G, you know, it was really focused on high density areas and very small coverage ranges, you know, 500 to 900 meters. There's been a lot of development work to extend those ranges. And and now we see millimeter wave ranges up to five kilometers which is you know fantastic when you want, want to offer a higher speed capability for fixed wireless access in, in rural uh, markets. The other one is Open RAN has the promise of lowering the cost of infrastructure by increasing the diversity of vendors that are available for radio access networks. So, I mean, that benefits urban settings, but, but it also lowers the threshold cost in rural markets. So that's the second one. And, you know, the government is doing a a good job bringing more spectrum resources that are more suitable for rural markets to market. And we've seen that with CBRS, but but the government's doing a lot because it does recognize that, you know, designing a network in a rural market has different challenges than in an urban setting. Yeah, especially the backhaul, right? I mean, even in urban areas, you can get... uh fiber backhaul to all those sites. They're pretty expensive to even provide and manage in the long run. It's even more uh, difficult in the rural areas, I would think, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd put it this way. It's a a really good point. We haven't had 
difficulty getting high-speed backhaul fiber to our rural markets to support our 5G deployment. What I think the difference is, is the diversity of fiber suppliers is more limited in rural markets than it is in urban markets. And, you know, that can impact the economics. The other thing, though, that uh, 5G does offer is in-band backhaul. So as an example, you can use your millimeter wave not only to provide the connection to the smartphone, but you can partition a piece of that millimeter wave spectrum for backhaul, for wireless backhaul. And so that's a new technology that uh, the carriers will be trialing. It's been standardized. It won't be used exclusively in uh, rural or urban in either of those settings, but it will be used to complement traditional backhaul if traditional backhaul is not available in certain areas. So that that's a, a capability we did not have with 4G that we will have with 5G. You're talking about IABs, right? That's correct. Okay. I have actually written like a, a series of articles on it. So I'll include a link to that as well. So you, you, you mentioned about uh, the government policies and such, and, and that's very critical. So how you think uh, U.S. government and regulatory bodies in the U.S. are helping uh, carriers in bringing 5G to rural areas? Is it different than 4G again? or I think they're doing more. I think they recognize for the United States to maintain uh, its competitive position in the global arena, we have to have high quality 5G and it can't just be in urban settings. I mean, you need to get the benefit of, you know, your citizens, you, you need high speed connectivity, you know, across the country. Uh, so that means you have to have it in, in rural markets. And I, I think the government, specifically the FCC, has done a good job of encouraging carriers to bring 5G to rural areas. They adopted the 5G fund to advance broadband deployment. And, you know, they're looking to devote, I think, somewhere around $9 billion in funding for 5G. So that's fantastic. But we don't think that's enough. Uh, while they're doing a good job and they're doing more than they have in the past, you know, it is costly to provide internet in rural markets where, you know, pop density is no. So we think that more needs to be done. And the good news is the FCC is regularly soliciting input from carriers, particularly those that, that serve rural markets, on things that they can do to further improve the development of, of 5G and high-speed access in rural, rural America. The rural 5G fund of $9 billion, I mean, it's a great start compared to where 4G was, for example. But do you think that's enough? If not, what more things you would uh, like to see from FCC itself, from the U.S. government and others in terms of supporting rural carriers for better proliferation of 5G in rural areas? Thank you. It's a great question. I, I think you put it well. It's a great start. Nine billion is a great start, but it is a start. Uh, we do think more will be required. I, I couldn't put a number on it. I wouldn't put a number on it. I think the government, and they are, they're very receptive. We, we meet with them and Congress regularly to make sure they have all the facts and the information on cost differences to provide service between rural and, and urban. But I think the best thing we can do as an industry in working with government is to recognize $9 billion is a good start. It's not enough. 
Let's continue to work together. We'll provide information on what it costs to serve, some of the challenges in those markets to help advise the FCC and Congress on what additional funding is required to ensure that our rural markets are as competitive as the urban markets uh, in the global uh, arena. So again, I'll, I'll, I love what you said. Nine billion is a good start, but it, it is just a start. Sure. Money is one part. Any other uh, policy, regulatory uh, changes or improvements that uh, you think would help you and other uh, you know, rural carriers? Yeah, I, I think the, the one that, again, there's been great progress, but there's going to be more required. And, and you know, the government is aware of is uh, zoning and cell site siting. As we move into a 5G world, we're going to see a huge proliferation of small cells and CRANs. That's going to be more obvious in urban areas. And look, my market makeup is just not rural. I have many urban markets. And frankly, I have some rural markets that have small pockets that if you looked at, you'd say, wow, that's high density. And it still is is challenging to move quickly to deploy cell sites, whether it's a macro cell site, a small cell site, or a CRAN to get service up and running for our consumers, whether that's improving coverage or capacity. So I think the government needs to continue to work with local governments to you know, streamline the processes to uh, shorten the time it takes to get new sites on the air. Because you know, again, as we move into 5G, we don't think you can meet all the use cases and keep up with the growth with current site densities, even though more spectrum has been brought to bear. I think most researchers will tell you that at the end of the day, and this is true over history, that most of the capacity needs have been met by cell site densification and less so with additional spectrum and improvements to the fundamental technology. So I'd say cell site siting is an important one the government can continue to focus on improving. I mean, I think FCC did some good job on it, you know, for small cells specifically, trying to have a uniform code across the country to the extent that is possible because there are a lot of local regulations and such. You think, uh, you know, more work needs to happen on that area that, you know, no matter where you are in the country, you are kind of playing by the same rules rather than totally different, uh, highly varying local rules as such. Yeah, it's still very much as yeah. you just described. <laughs> different towns and communities, uh, different states approach it differently, and it, it's not consistent. Again, the, I think the FCC, the federal government's done a lot, continues to work on it, but we're not done. There's still more work that needs to be done there. Perfect. So you you touched upon this a little bit in terms of you know spectrum, millimeter wave and such. Specifically on millimeter wave, fixed wireless that you mentioned is one example. It's a fascinating thing that, you know, first thing it was nobody thought it would be useful for cellular communication. Then they said, oh, it's only for dense urban, highly dense deployments and dense usage scenarios and such. But now you're seeing that it's applicable even in rural scenarios. So what are some of the um, use cases, deployment types and such that you're looking for uh, a millimeter wave? Obviously, a fixed wireless is one and AB is another one. 
Yeah. So fixed wireless access is a, is a big one for us. And look, when we think of millimeter, well, let me back up. When we think of 5G, we just don't think of it as millimeter wave. I, I think, you know, when 5G got started, unfortunately, it was associated solely with millimeter wave. And, and the way that I think about it, the way that we think about it is you have different bands, uh, low band, mid band and high band. And when you look out to 6G, you'll have, you know, even higher than the millimeter waves, terahertz bands, uh, which even have shorter range. 5G is the technology, the underlying technology that makes all the bands work together seamlessly so that the customer really doesn't know. They don't need to know what frequency band they're on. They just know that they're getting the right latency and throughput to meet the needs of the application that they're using. So we think all these bands are necessary to, to deliver a fulsome 5G uh, product offering. Certainly, you know, we started off with the spectrum that we've had as we, you know, work to, you know, get the, the other bands in place. You know, that's how we think about it. I think the other carriers have demonstrated that as well. But fixed wireless access is one. Uh, high capacity in arenas, for football stadiums, college stadiums, venues where you have super high concentration of people uh, doing a lot of video or AR, VR, that's certainly a, a use case. The other one that we think of right now is take an urban market. I, I have you know a lot of them. Milwaukee is, is, is an example of one. Millimeter wave doesn't do a good job penetrating into buildings. In fact, it's, it's pretty terrible in that, in that regard. There are repeaters being developed just to help mitigate that. But if I've got millimeter wave on my macro site, I'm going to offload traffic to millimeter wave and it frees up resources on my mid band and my low band that will provide high quality coverage outside and inside. And the reality is not everybody's going to be using AR, VR, so it's a capacity offload that we we like. You could equate it to LAA. I think you're familiar with LAA. Short range, but but it offloads. So so there's a benefit there. That's a use case. And you know everybody talks about it with 5G, but millimeter wave pays an important role. A, a very important use case is lowering the cost to deliver a bit. So there's nothing glamorous today about the video we're carrying, but 70 percent of our traffic in the industry is video traffic, consumes a lot of resources. So anything I can do to lower the cost of carrying a bit by speeding up the transmission, be it millimeter wave or mid band or low band or the combination, it goes right to the bottom line economics. And that plays out not just in urban areas, but also in rural areas. So that I think of that as a use case. We think of that as a use case and a use case that's real today and not, you know, maybe speculative when you think about some of the futuristic ones. The other one is autonomous car and high-speed connectivity to move, moving vehicles. Drones is another one. We've been testing drones and control of drones on 5G network. And then the last one that um, is getting a lot of press lately is uh, manufacturing uh, 4.0, where you stop depending on hard wires for your manufacturing lines and, and use 5G so that you can retool your manufacturing line much faster than you're able to with the hard line. So that's another important use case I think you're going to hear more about.
You mentioned about IAB. I mean, I, I looked at IAB for a long time and it's very close to my heart. Where are you with uh, actual deployments and such? So for, for the, uh, the backhaul, the wireless backhaul, we have not deployed it yet. The vendors are locking down their product offerings. And I would expect within, you know, the next nine to 12 months, we'll start testing that potentially. And, you know, if the testing goes well, which, you know, I'm sure we'll find bugs and things that will need to be worked out. We will add that to our arsenal, our deployment arsenal, so that where we can't get cost-effective, high-speed backhaul, um, we will use that in-band backhaul, perhaps with our, you know, using our 28 gigahertz of spectrum holdings. Okay, perfect. On the same subject of uh, deployments, uh, you slightly touched upon it, uh, you know, uh, new architectures like VRAN and OpenRAN. How uh, have they benefited if they are benefiting you uh, in specifically rural deployments? You know, it's a great question. Uh, we're, we're members of uh, OpenRAN and ORAN groups, uh, so we're following it very closely. You know, there, there's still a lot of work to be done to make it scalable. And I think it's, it, it's going to get there. There's no doubt in my mind it's going to get there. I mean, one of the challenges for smaller carriers is, you know, when you take two or three vendors and try to get them to, work, you know, interoperate together, it, it does require quite a bit of interoperability testing, ongoing management and certification of the software. And that's probably less of an issue for a big carrier, but for a smaller carrier like us, I mean, that takes people, it takes resources, and there's cost associated with that. I think there are some players stepping up to provide a development, I'll call it a development environment to make that easier. And once that gets mature, uh, I have no doubt ORAN's going to play a part in our architecture and our markets. And frankly, I, I think rural markets are going to benefit from it. And I say that for a couple of reasons. There are some unique performance differences between an integrated stack RAN and an open RAN stack. And it has to do with the level of MIMO that you plan to use. Well, you probably don't need high levels of MIMO in rural markets, relatively speaking, to what you would need in an urban market. And given that, I think those performance differences that we see today with ORAN are really not a factor in rural markets. So, so I think there's a place for it in rural markets and, and absolutely it's going to drive innovation and it will lower the cost. And even though, you know, there aren't that many ORAN deployments, I mean, frankly, there are very few in the grand scheme of things to talk about. But I think that, you know, as more and more get deployed, we're going to see that ecosystem develop very uh, quickly and it's, and it's going to play a very important role in, in the industry for us. One other challenge with it is security. Uh, as soon as you include multiple vendors and you know, new interfaces, you need to make those uh, secure and it's less of a challenge with an integrated stack. I think NTIA is, is helping play a, a role there as well as uh, other players. But I think ORAN is definitely going to play a role and, and help. And, and even though it's not been deployed broadly, some of the incumbents are having to adjust their pricing models for their current offerings. So it's already having an impact, even though there are not a lot of 
deployments of, of, of ORAN today. So we like the technology, we're following it very closely and we absolutely will be trialing it when there's product that we feel good about. Yeah, I mean, your point about it already affecting the economics of uh, deployment is uh, an interesting one. And also other one that you mentioned, I look at Open RAN, the biggest issue is bringing in uh, advanced antenna techniques like carrier aggregation, for example, especially across bands and such on to Open RAN is still a challenge. And I know the jury is still out whether you can save money on when you bring in such complex features across vendors with you know boxes and software and hardware from different vendors so in rural areas where you know there is much smaller need for all those advanced uh, techniques makes it you know even more appealing i would say for rural areas to do open and virtual ran right absolutely that that's how we're thinking about it today now you know things change and yeah but, but i think you're, that's exactly right so uh, to complete our discussion going back to the rural 5g and how is it different from 4g if you could summarize for me and our listeners when you look at the introduction spread of 4g in rural areas and compare that to 5g what are the top three differences you see and you know positive or negative yeah i'll go back to to what i said at the beginning you know 4g Great technology, but there, but there, it wasn't clear what problem it was trying to solve. And so we launched it and, you know, you had a lot of app developers develop some apps that, you know, really awakened the consumer's eyes to all the cool things they could do wirelessly. And that's a good thing. I mean, we, we've seen that. It sort of set the stage uh, for 5G. But as society moves to digitalization across all the verticals, the industry has quickly and researchers have quickly recognized that 4G just is not going to be able to keep up with the connection growth, connection density. And so 5G has been very clear from the get go, unlike 4G, what the set of problems are that need to be solved. You know, one is addressing the digital divide connecting everything, connecting devices. And so it's much more purposeful, 5G is, than I, than I think 4G was when it, when, it started, when it started out. And I think that's a good thing because we can focus on the business models. We could spend more time on the use cases. In fact, you see that uh, with NGMN. They've focused a lot on the use cases and, and what those use cases mean what is required to support those use cases. And that's distinctly different than what we saw with, you know, with 4G. That said, there are many challenges yet to be worked out. One is, you already talked about it, cost-effective backhaul, particularly in rural markets. Very important. Sufficient mid-band and low-band spectrum to meet the coverage challenges in rural markets. I think that's, that's a, a second one. And the third one is adequate and sufficient support from the government uh, to help close that div digital divide. I think, as I said earlier, the FCC is working hard on that. They're off to a good start, but more will be required to do that. But I think 5G is off to a really good start and uh, we're excited to be playing a role in the deployment of 5G and in particular, a role in the rural markets. Perfect. I think with that positive note, I think it's a great point to uh, conclude our conversation. Thank you very much for uh 
all the information you provided really happy that you came on to the show uh, hope to see you back again to hear how your plans on 5G transpired well thank you for having me it's been my pleasure i enjoyed the discussion and, and look uh, look forward to uh, talking to you at some point in the future so folks that's uh, for it now i hope this discussion was informative and you found it to be useful if you did please hit that subscribe button down there uh, it's time to say goodbye now but again i'll be back again soon with uh, another episode putting light on another interesting tech subject bye bye for now <laughs>